I geek out with Games Night Viz co-host Will Sutton on this week's Data Plus Love. Yeah, probably, probably good to explain how I came to sort of using like Tableau Public. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah, let's start there. Um, so I had started using Tableau back in 2014. So I was working for this financial research company. We're looking at survey data and we use Tableau to say, this is what you responded to in the survey. And this is like your, like you compared to everybody else. It's quite a neat way of doing it. And it was, you know, it took me about, maybe about five years before anything really happened uh, until I decided I've been using Tableau for this long. How good actually am I at it? Like I could understand how to make things and stuff. So it kind of led me down the route of like getting certified. And so when I was looking at like the uh, like professional like certification for desktop, which now gone away, there's a lot you need to do in the time scale. Like you have three hours, but it is a solid three hours of just turning out charts isn't it uh, so that led me into like well I could just do makeup a Monday and that's like the perfect like solution to it you get a new data set you've never seen before and you have like try and find some insights forwards and that's pretty much the exam and then it led me to think okay I can just do that and there was a period of time where I made a mock exam out of makeover Mondays where you would do six makeover Mondays in a row in three hours I cannot tell you how how hard that was to come up with like creative things towards the end or insights. It was like there was like this term of vis fatigue that I just discovered of like I can't do oh, man, that was seriously hard. And it made me just think, oh, yeah, give me a bit more time to do this. So So you're telling me you're a madman, is what you're saying. Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, I was driven to say like, like right, try and get the certification done. And it's like, that's why I thought, oh, if I can do that, then hopefully that will work and it did it did in the end so madness did pay off in the end but uh, so yeah that certainly accelerated a lot of like visualizations being built by me uh back in the day and then like after the certification thought well it's quite nice people were quite nice it was like really like friendly and stuff so it's like i was in a good routine of doing it and it's like we're well, yeah, not having to do six in a day um can actually be like a, a bit better so i would just do like just carried on with the project for a while uh for quite a long time and then i think um it hit me at one point like what i was trying to get out of it so like got my certification great it's like i don't know whether you felt this would make for monday sometimes like you just wanted to do a bit more with the data sets or you wanted to do you felt like I got to a point where I wasn't sure how much I was getting out of the project or in terms of development skills anymore. I distinctly remember it. There was a um, was one of these visualizations about who responded to a financial, like a survey, uh, and it was the radial bar charts. And it's like, I know what you want me to do. You just want me to make those lines straight, <laughs> those bars straight. And 
I then took a step back and thought, right, what am I, what am I doing this for? Where am I, where am I going with this? I think um, it's certainly like where I first really sort of engaged with you, Zach, is in terms of like that sort of idea of like, this is what you love. And so I went away and thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And I think it's like a really like strong part of this where if you know a topic, you're passionate about a topic, you can instinctively know like a bit more questions to ask or have that bit of insight to add in to help people learn more about the topic, um, which then led me down the road of like, okay, I do a lot of running based in my spare time. It's like, can I just take some of like the things I find really interesting, like I'm passionate about running or things that I, I find like really interesting and just like put them out there as visualizations for people and see, see where it goes. I don't so know what you about that. Yeah. So in terms of running, and I, I definitely agree with you how knowing about the topic before you visit can definitely change your context and how you're thinking about it and the questions you ask as a runner yourself, what are some things that you know about running that someone who's not a runner might not think about when visualizing it? Not so visualizing it, but it's more like some of the interesting like events I found were really, really fun. So um, there's a thing called a beer mile, which it seems more like a college thing, but it's the, and we had to do it as part of like our like running club sports day is where you, you drink like a can of beer do a lap around the track, drink another can of beer. You do that four times. And my God, I, I did it. And it was really tough. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. It's like I came into it thinking, all right, if we just go steady on the miles, we'll be fine. We'll get down like eight, nine minutes, you'll be fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I ended up like, I think just over 11 minutes in the end. It's like mad. And then I found there's a whole like world championship for this. And the times were incredible. Like seriously incredible like achievements. So you just like people need to see this. Or at least I need to show this to people. There's a great story here of like, I don't know how someone can drink four beers and stuff, let alone run a mile as well. You know. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that's going on there besides the fact that you're considering the alcohol content, which is definitely a factor. Like for me, like about two in since I'm 40, like I'd need to take a nap. But um, also the fact that you're adding a whole bunch of liquid to your body while you're running and it's carbonated. So you, you've got all that going on while you're trying to make good speeds. That That is a bizarre and interesting angle to look at competitive running. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible feeling as well. Uh, you're not quite <laughs> sure what's going on with your body and just think I'm just trying to get through this as easy as possible. You know, speed isn't always the answer. Um, so yeah, I found like quite captivated by like quite interesting stories that I thought that people can see running you just go out for a jog you know there's actually quite a lot, lot to the sport as well like little twists on the sport that I thought was quite interesting to show and teach people about I suppose that's pretty cool I appreciate your different perspective that you're able to bring to it from from researching different angles let's go back to talking about makeover Monday and sort of how you were looking for something more out of it I know for me I think I rubbed Andy Kriebel the wrong way once when I talked about Makeover Monday as something for people to grow out of eventually. Because mm -hmm. I know, particularly in the sort of later years of Makeover Monday, there was sort of a lot of uh, maybe maybe perceived friction on my part between folks that were wanting to get inventive and try exotic chart types and that sort of thing, and Makeover Monday's hosts as, as saying, hey, no, 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 we want to see you create best practices things. Um, and, and they're sort of, particularly 
uh, there's like a risk reward matrix, especially when you're sort of newer to the community. You're not as well known. You don't have as many followers, not as many people are seeing your work. If you create best practice visits, not a lot of people are going to recognize your work uh, because it's not sort of doing anything unique. It's not particularly different. So there's not it's it's not really drawing eyes. So uh, the temptation is, oh, I'm going to make a massive radio out of this. And then it looks like something interesting and people see the interesting thing and then they follow me. And then later when I'm doing something that's maybe not as flashy, they'll actually see it. Um, so, I mean, I, I sort of recognize mm -hmm. that as one end of the equation. The other end of the equation, as you're sort of maturing in your skill set, you know, you're kind of wanting to to do different things, look at different angles, like you were saying, have more pieces of data to it. And sometimes Makeover Monday sets were, were very simple. Like I remember one that was basically just a uh, a two column thing with like a uh, country and then a percentage. And like that was the entire thing. And I'm like, well, this I'm going to create something very uninteresting out of this. And I'm going to end up trying to amuse myself doing something that I find to be uninteresting and then ultimately it's going to be like kind of eh, you know so why not just do something i'm interested in in the first place yeah yeah exactly and i think sometimes like with these community projects there is yeah i really have a lot of time for like makeover monday and what it did for me as a data analyst but yes there's that point where you think what can i do with this where can i add my twist on it and if it's a topic you're not very familiar about there can be a lot of time to go and like get up to speed on that there's also like the cases where you, as you say, you just want to try something different and yeah, being so hard line for that and saying no, but actually like from, from the work I've done since then, I actually find that some of those creative charts being like when you're talking with Sam Parsons and CJ, like those ones really like catch the eye and then you can bring them in to actually like address most of the other story you've got on show. So there is definitely like a fine balance. It's not always just about this is what you have to do 100 percent of the time because different things will work for different audiences. And I think that's something I really like about data visualization is that it's about trying different things with different people. So it's I have a group of stakeholders. I'm just sort of like trying things with them. Like they don't know it, but I'm trying different things. Things I've picked up from the conference of like see how this goes if not i can try something else try something else and it's just about that uh because you don't really like i think there's a part of us where we're all like this is this is what best practice is but also it's like at the end of the day what works what works and what gets the attention gets the buy-in and the engagement always like um i suppose throughout my career so described it as like some stakeholders just like shiny things with that shiny thing is it is like Tableau itself as a product or a specific piece of work you've done that really sort of takes hold and stays with you almost throughout your career. Um, yeah, I think there's a definitely definitely like a balance to be had. You're, I I definitely agree with that, and I think that whole I think best practices. The thing about best practices, I think, is that they're I think they're negotiable, and I think they're evolving. I think what is best practice now may not be best practice in 20 years. We've got evolving technology. We've got evolving understanding both from the practitioner end that we're on and then from the recipient end that our audiences are on. I think stuff is always changing. So I think what may be a best practice now may not be a best practice in 20 years. And I sort of applaud people that are willing to challenge that. You see people like Tuan who are out there like creating brand new exotic charts all the time and you know i'll tease them about <laughs> it and saying like hey you know there there is no use case for this you know it's like there, you've created there definitely is there definitely is a use case for that neon one absolutely absolutely um, yeah i mean that's the thing it's like he's pushing the boundaries and 
it's not for everyone clearly and not everyone's going to get it and it's not always useful but if you find the correct application for some of those exotic chart types you're going to get uh, audience engagement in a way that you could not have gotten from a more conventional chart and that's one of the challenges working with you know clients for example like not that i use exotic chart types at work but sometimes i may have to take a less orthodox way to approach a question to first you know match their understanding because different people are different levels of understanding how stuff works but also i want to create something that is engaging and creates enthusiasm like that enthusiasm gap can be the biggest obstacle because you can make something that's totally up to spec and is everything that someone asked for they tell you they love it and then they never look at it again <laughs> yeah yeah and i don't don't we all hate that at least it's a learning curve you can take something from that but certainly i remember the first time i introduced um some stakeholders early on into like the sankey chart uh yeah this was back in the day when you had to make sankeys with lines uh before there was the like again blurlish like blog post i think it was the, is it jeffrey schaefer schaefer <laughs> not quite sure um but yeah that that was the first one and that got a lot of people like talking like what it looked like to them not so much, but it was like the first time you had a lot of conversation, a lot of eyes on something that I had done that wasn't, it wasn't like probably the best, best practice at the time, but it got on talking and got on engaging with the work, which is like all we want to do uh, in terms of like pushing like data visualization or them to see the analysis, really. So let me ask you something about your work. I was... I was scrolling through your portfolio, and even though I misattributed something to you, um, I noticed something that I thought to be a little unusual, and I don't mean this in a negative way, is that your charts are predominantly white backgrounds. And I see the temptation for uh, more and more often people to lean towards darker backgrounds. And I, I don't know the drive behind it. I think in some ways it can look slicker. In some ways, it might uh, be serving actually as a distracting element, depending on the case that you're using it in. What's sort of behind sticking with white backgrounds primarily? So I think in times, I think I've got, I feel like I've got a mix. I think if it's like a default sort of standard colored sort of chart, I think it's just generally white for me. I think that's fine. It's easy on the eyes. In some cases, if I've got a very like, there's a like very sort of color lens to it. So like the one I've done about snowflakes, you expect snowflakes to be sort of white transparent. So like a dark, dark background really does help then. It kind of sort of blends in with that mood sort of like a dark winter's night when just snowfall sort of starts up. Um, yeah, I think I've sort of dabbled more dark lately, but I'm sort of, I was looking at doing something again with a dark background. I was like, am I doing too many? Is this the, am I doing it because it sort of seems popular or is it the right choice in this situation? So um, I think generally by picking darker backgrounds, it's generally like a color inspiration led or something that will really help like make the marks on the screen pop out a lot. In other cases, it's, it's yeah, I think that's mainly it. It's, it's like just trying to make the story, the background fit in the story and the, make everything in a quite contrasting way in terms of accessibility like using some of those like um those little tools online you get to see here's a here's a bit of text on a on a dark background you can see it's something quite led on that sort of part as well i know for me i'll go through it on a personal project a lot of trial and error figuring out where i want to be with something like i want to avoid the idea of having like a default background color like i know like i consider white to be like a blank canvas and that's okay like sometimes i just need a white black background other times i'm like 
you know, maybe this can be slightly tannish. You know, it's like adding some some tonality to it can make your other colors pop like you're talking about. But I've definitely wanted to resist the temptation of sort of embracing like a sort of def like, you know, oh, this one should probably just be black. Like I, I seriously I just did a uh, we'll get into this topic, but I just did a Mega Man Viz and mm, uh, I yeah. really struggled with the color scheme for this uh, because, you know, Mega Man, great, though. Like... It, it worked out for me, but it's uh, I went through several iterations trying to figure out what colors to use, especially since. I knew I wanted a color in there that was representative of Mega Man. So you've kind of got a blue and like a teal yeah, and then yeah, trying to figure yeah. out what played with that in a nice way that also sort of said Mega Man. And ultimately, I ended up uh, finding a really nice desktop background that's scraped out of Mega Man 2 directly, since that's my favorite yeah. in the series. And um, then choosing uh, a, a secondary color, which was a purpley color sort of from that background itself. But uh, yeah, I, I was doing that um, as part of Games Night Viz, uh, which is a recent project that you've kicked off with Lewis Yu and uh, Tina Cavelli. Do you want to tell me about like where you came up with this concept? And are you personally trying to take on the power gap left by Makeover Monday? Can I, can I get that on record? Um, <laughs> no comment <laughs> on the power gap. Uh, <laughs> um, really, so like, it actually started uh, with Eva Murray's like uh, tweet where she said, when we would, I think there's a lot of like talk in the community about Makeover Monday going on a bit of a hiatus. And Eva said, oh, You don't have to start a community project, but you could, or something along those lines. Like, okay, I read it, sort of I went about what I do, like whatever I was doing. And a couple of days later, I came back into my office. And so I'm one of these people that will have more ideas than I could possibly ever finish. And I started having this procedure of like get little post-it notes, write them down, put them on the wall, just leave them there. And just like when I've got time and capacity and have a look at the wall and like have a look and see what's up there. So I was back in there and I looked and I was like, well, a lot of these are like, like game, like visualizations about games that I want to do. I really want to do. And I've got in some most of the cases I had the data. I just either couldn't work out how best to visualize it or it was a case of like there's going to be a lot of work involved to get to this get this done and I thought well I see also what other people in the community done around like making data sets available and I thought well I could structure a project around this and then delete like pass it on to the community to see like here's, here's what I've tried uh, maybe someone else out there can go and make something really fun out of this or like have something like new to their visual because I really want to see this stuff at the end of the day. I mean, most of this stuff I've put in together is like, I just want to see how it looks um, at the end of the day. And I think from that, I then sort of like structured like, okay, okay. Uh, so like how much can we actually do? And I figured out, oh, I could put some themes to this. And then the ideas just kept coming of like, oh, you could do this game. Like, so our first, first look was around like characters. So. So the themes kind of follow a little trend. I haven't kind of revealed all the themes yet. Kind of keep that little, little secret to myself. But so you pick your character, sort of like Jumanji, you pick your character um, at the beginning. So I was thinking, oh, there's loads of data around, like um, sort of people's favorite characters. You pick a character and say like Street Fighter, they fight each other. And then I was thinking, well, this is getting a bit too video gaming. Where you 
get all the other games we could look at. So it's like, oh yeah, poker players. You're like you, you are the character in a sense playing poker. So I thought, so then this really came together. And I was like, ah, great. I've got like one idea or one like theme done. Um, and from that point, I then went and spoke to a few like special people in the community, like got their feedback on it. I really appreciate that. Like, like from my perspective, it was very much like the introvert kind of like standpoint. I'll be really overanalyze this. <laughs> like I had looked at sort of like all the other community projects I'd taken part in. There were so many things I liked about them in different ways. Um, so things like a lot of it's like Iron Quest, you have like a broad theme that was a great place to start. The accessibility part of like Makeover Monday, where you had like a, a reasonable amount of data sets you could pick from. Uh, things like uh, also things like prepping data. We need to talk about that, but I love prepping data. They are great. Um, they have allowed me to learn Python in a year uh, better than any course or anything else. So like, I have a lot of time for them. So I was like, oh, that would be like great if I could try and include some things I've learned in terms of so get a data set and then prepare it in a way. And then that can be part of the challenge. So yeah, there was a lot of things going on. And I, I suppose I needed these people just to say, I'm not going like too on board with this too far, too, too mad with it. And they were all really like super supportive about the project. And then we then I contacted sort of Tina and Lewis and that's like when it went like really went to the next level in terms of what we had and what we could do with it. And they were really like helpful. Like I could not wish for like two more like inspiring, like creative people to help me with this project because they're so full of ideas. I was very conscious of this just being me, my perspective, the era I've grown up with games. And it's like, we have these other people now that can bring their perspective on things. And it really does like broaden the horizons. Cause yeah, I know of like my general is like N64 to Xbox to that's it. Uh, and I know there's so much more out there from that. So. As I've so demonstrated, I'm thing. old and played Mega Man when it was new. So uh, yeah, there's definitely actually N64 is when I started to miss out on video games. So I think I, I got an original Nintendo when I was around eight. So there's that movie Eight Bit Christmas that's out right now, which is very, very much like my childhood. Then I uh, I think I bought a used Super Nintendo off a friend, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then I didn't have anything until like a Sega Dreamcast that I bought when they oh, were already yeah. starting to fail. So it was already on its way out. This was the death knell of Sega as a console producer, and I got one for like $100 when I was in college. And yeah, I, I've traditionally picked, um, you know, offbeat consoles up until now, where now it's really hard to not pick a console that's successful because between Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, they're all producing very great stuff and, you know, whatever you're into. Really, things get oddly tribal, and that's that's the real exotic thing about, I guess, video games in particular. People get very loyal to brands. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just a big fan of games in general, whether it be uh, video games or, you know, board games and other kinds. So I'm, I'm really excited by your project. I've actually done two game site visits already, yeah, one using your data set and then one with my own. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm excited to see where you go with next month's challenge. Do you uh, do you want to tease that yet, or is that uh, still in the works? <laughs> um, definitely teasing it because I've been I've been working on it quite a bit uh, lately. So so after you pick your character, you you selected your character, you then enter a world like a game's world. So this is all about like different worlds, different maps, different places you could go. Um, so doing some some more collaborations, I found uh, really like interesting websites. 
uh, hosted by Liam Brown, C. Liam Brown, uh, where he has a battleship that you can play against like a computer. And he's really kindly let me have the data behind that. So it's like, oh, great. So that's going to be part of it. That's uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, and then there was one of the projects I had on the wall that I've finally got to and it's been real like a real mission like if it wasn't a passion project I probably would have given up um there is um so I kind of I suppose to take a bit of inspiration from real real world fake data and just kind of make it my own sort of fictional data uh but uh so I found that you can find all the characters in Skyrim and you can sort of trying to build like a kind of like a census if you like a whole population of Skyrim like all two and a half, like I found two and a half thousand people. It's like, oh, wow. okay. so, we, so we know their genders, we know their race, we know what class they are, we know how much health they have. So yeah, um, really interesting little data set I'm working on there, um, trying to bring bring that in. So, but yeah, I think the plan is again to have quite a few data sets. And this is really part of it, just to sort of spark an idea a lot of the time. So often you like, that that point where you've got to like the project and got to the day and you can't find anything there and i try to admit admit that as much as possible try and have some more ideas going uh to help people along the way so i know like street fire is not for everybody but we've seen other like this has come out around like say super smash brothers or i think it was dc the dc slow like um combat game i can't remember what it's called uh but it's a very sort of similar like similar game but just different characters and it's like true to that person or like the games they've played in the past so which i think is like really nice really nice part of it so i actually created a uh a meet space uh viz recently of the legend of zelda overworld map using legos so i posted that to twitter but i, I have a retro handheld i bought recently it's like the it's called the uh like the it's like the game and watch it's like the game and watch retro they released a, yeah. a legend of zelda version recently which has the original Legend of Zelda from the NES, uh, Link's oh, the second Legend of Zelda, Link to Link's Awakening, and then one that was on Game Boy, and they're all on something that's the size of a credit card. And as I'm playing through the Legend of Zelda, which I haven't done since I was like, you know, eight years old or ten years old. Honestly, I bought it and returned it. That's how bad my taste was as a child. I'm like, this game's <laughs> awful. Because um, I'm playing through it, I realize, you know, the era, the world map's not that big. Um, so there's, you know, it's maybe like 16 across by maybe 10 high. So maybe 160 different quadrants. And out of that, they've stashed like nine dungeons and three swords and various things. So if you can visualize that, it's not that hard to make a grid out of it and, you know, show the different stuff. So I was doing that and that was kind of fun. And that led to me, um, I'm not going to spoil this, but I've uh, created a Lego data project that I've sent to someone recently and hopefully they'll receive it soon and post something online. But uh, yeah, it's uh, Lego is uh, is really a, a alternate medium for me right now that I've been inspired by, and it's sort of expressing data in different ways using that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like especially like those older games where you can actually rebuild the map. I think there's a, there's another data set I'm looking at of where like yeah you can take one of those old games and find again uh, where all the people are, where the best items are. Um, yeah, yeah, those old games like. Um, you always forget, like, this is one thing over, like, the last sort of, like, couple of years is I actually had a lot more free time. I spent a lot more time going back over games that I had played way back when. And uh, 
so much fun like the nostalgia you get of it the great feeling you get of it and that's uh, largely like a part of it of like why i wanted to sort of bring this back because it gives a lot of joy to me certainly seeing the stuff but also just the memories i had of playing it back in the day it was a great the great time you know when you were you were young enough that like you could have all the time to play those games you had no less responsibilities much less responsibilities you know i mean you may only could afford one or two games but you love them all the same so I, uh, Halo Infinite has come out recently and I, uh, I've gotten into the multiplayer of that, which is I haven't really played Halo in any real capacity since I was in college. Like I, you know, maybe touched on it here and there, but um, I, I feel like uh, I'm chasing the dragon of my college nostalgia of like one really, really good round I had like 20 years ago. And I'm trying to capture that that again. And uh, it's frustrating, but also really fun and nostalgic. So that's uh, that's my zone right now. Absolutely. I, I think for me, I was playing a lot of Halo 2, one of my like best friends, uh, Sam. So, And then this is probably actually one of the first times I actually got properly introduced to data and visualization when I think about it. So back in the day on Halo 2, you had a place called Bungie.net where you could go and you could see all the stats from your games. You could see different maps. You would have like heat maps of where people people died and people killed you. So this was like a really interesting place of where you had data. But then there came the time of like Bungie.net, we're going to shut it, shut down the website. So it was actually led into a project of mine around Halo where we basically had to go and get all the data before it went. So I went and got me and my friends data and put it together for uh, one of the Iron Quest uh, competitions. And at the same time, it was around, I think, Christmas time. I had been playing like, Halo the Master Chief Collection, which is the collection of all the Halo games. And I was like, this menu is so cool. It's so slick and so like futuristic. That's another one of my to-dos is trying to get a, like another like futuristic like looking dashboard. But it was so like cool. And I was like, can you recreate something like this? A faithful recreation of this in Tableau. It's like, how am I going to do it? Um, so you could use like the different menu options where you like navigation buttons, but it was really like the backgrounds for me were how am I going to make like a move? Like because the backgrounds in the Halo games, there's all sort of like a static picture, but slightly moving one way or the other. So like, how are you going to do this? So I ended up finding the videos and making like 20 minute loops of them, putting them on YouTube, then embedding them behind the visualization. So it's like. Every time, every time anyone sees them, I'm like, look away for like five seconds while the video loads, and then look back. It's, it's great. Couldn't get the music on there just yet, but um, I was really pleased at how like there was an idea of like trying to make just a specific design and just going out. I think I got like a very good faithful faithful reproduction there as best I could do at the time. But then also having like the context of our own data was still there and it was still like um still memorable to us and it just shows how like bad i was with my friend like i was i was bad he was the one getting the kills um and i, I actually think most of the time he just killed me <laughs> you know but you had fun and this was this was part of your friendship so like this is part mm -hmm. of your your shared memory and it's in a world where increasingly less and less we get to spend physical time with people that we're friends with you know we, we all have friends all over the world now or you know you have someone that you're friends with that lives you know 100 200 miles away in your case two and a half hours you know um but uh, as as we're more widely distributed more of our shared experiences are going to be in some kind of virtual context so it's it's fun to actually be able to have data quantifying how much fun you were having 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think how many sort of like even something through lockdown, I've been playing with my parents while we've been. So we've been like for months on end so in Suffolk where I think social distancing, we were doing it here before it was popular. You know, there's no one from us. And so similarly, like that friend I played with, we probably only like lived half an hour's drive away, but we couldn't couldn't drive at too young at the time. So that's how we kept in touch. But we've been playing a lot of um, the drawful game. So you would, so it's where you're given a prompt, you have to draw it on your phone, and then it goes up on the screen, and people have to guess, make a clever guess of what it is, and then you vote for what you think it is at the end. And that became like a really like fun game to keep us sort of like going and happy sort of during the pandemic sort of part of just this is what like day to day is going to be for the next month too much. We don't really know. Uh, but it's a really nice way of us sort of connecting as a family, realizing who weren't so good at drawing in the family. Um, it's still up there. It's still up there in my head. It's like a, another visualization of like come play draw for with us. You can come see some of the drawings and you can try and guess what they are. And please, I we've I had to make a calendar of some of them because it was so funny, but I can't remember what they were. In some cases, in most cases, like not sure what it was meant to be, but it's like, yeah, yeah. This was all part of like just uh, keeping together and like keeping that keeping the joy going, I suppose. Like that. I, I've always enjoyed stats and video games. And one of my favorite sort of fran it's not really a franchise favorite publishers for that is uh telltale made story games and even though they've recently gone defunct uh you know they touched on many they, it was all franchise materials so there was like telltale walking dead telltale batman that kind of thing and i mean these are things that could run on an ipad or an xbox anything so you can pretty much play them anywhere and the idea was it's sort of an interactive story where there's definitely controllable elements and scenes but there it would come to story points where you had to make decisions you know do you tell you know do you turn this person into the police or do you decide that you're going to help them out and you know depending on the choices you make the story kind of branches a little bit in different directions and uh each of these sort of larger stories was broken into like episodes like a tv show and at the end of each episode it would show you all of your stats and how you compared to other people that played the game so it's like you know you decided to turn catwoman into the police uh, only 25% of players did that. Everyone else decided to help her. So it's like, oh, wow. It's like, it's interesting to give you context. Uh, even in a game where you're playing by yourself and experiencing the story alone, it's giving you a broader connection to a larger group of people to like let you know, you know, either you're making similar choices to a lot of other people or you're taking a more unique path that's more of sort of your own. Yeah, and it's like, you can then go and take that, that information and share. It's like, did anyone else do this? Like I, there's certainly definitely like games I played um, on on the Xbox where I certainly I certainly made the wrong choice. I didn't know that like if you said this thing to this person they would join you. So I know, no, I didn't know that at all. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting like part of where like the data and the decisions around like uh, what you do is coming much more like shown in games. And certainly like I wish there was a bit more bit more widely available. We certainly make this project a bit easier at times. Uh, but even things like, I think, uh, you mentioned you were like interested in Resident Evil. I was like, oh, there is sites there for Resident Evil uh, that have like data of like how people, um, <laughs> how people didn't quite succeed in the game um, compared to like a different monster or a different weapon or something. And 
yeah, really interesting stats. I wish they would just like make it a bit more available for like guys like us to sort of turn to jazzy visualizations or. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd deliver a lot of value to them. I, I think I, I've recently, I mean, video games have always been sort of a background hobby for me. And for years, you know, my kids that were really young, so they were something I like might get to do like an hour a week or something. Now my kids are older and they've got their own activities and I don't constantly have to worry about them dying. So it's something I can, you know, indulge a little bit more in the evening around the time they're going to bed and stuff. But it's, uh, I was listening to a YouTuber, uh, Chris Raygun, who's a big gamer, and he was talking about how, um, he's a big fan of, I guess, Halo in particular. And he's talking about how uh, a lot of people look at a game like that and think of it as, oh, it's like a combat game. It's all about shooting things and, and violence and stuff. And he's like, no, it's really like a physics engine and a problem solving. Uh, it, it's essentially like a, a problem solving puzzle. And it's an evolving puzzle that's always changing. And your question is, oh, there's a bad guy over here. He's driving this vehicle towards me. What options do I have in terms of the physics of this game? that give me a, a higher probability of succeeding. You know, you can try to fire your gun at him, but he might be faster than you. You can try to grapple and take his vehicle, but he might die, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm like, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And that's true. Like that's, that's one of the things, you know, you sort of learn by playing games. You know, it's like, I don't feel like I know how to shoot a rifle better from, you know, playing Halo, but I do feel like I understand better that, you know, you have to track ahead of things or, you know, to be aware of your surroundings and to constantly be in mode and that stuff like that. Yeah. And there's a sort of like decision matrix you can do. And sometimes like the best option is to not do anything and sort of stay like quite secretive. Um, there's many times where, I mean, you're just playing the, playing the game. I just wanted to get like, you could drive the car, you drive the warthog. And I just wanted to get it into places that you really shouldn't have a car. Uh, that was got quite a lot of fun for me. You also saw a lot of times where people would glitch in the game where you would do this thing, I think it's called the super bounce, where you would like, they would jump on this sort of like bit of pavement and then they would fly up to the top of the map and then they'd be up there. And, and you would never, no chance of getting them. It's like, I, I need to learn how to do this. And I never did, never did. And it's like, well, it didn't matter for me because as you say, like, I would not be very good because you know when the sniper rifle is there, it's so small and people move so fast and I'm like so slow when it comes to it. So it's like, I'm just literally telling him I'm up here. That, that's pretty much, I'm like, just just like waving to him, like from like up here, like, hey, I'm up here. Uh, come Stationary get target. Me. Yeah, yeah. Come come get me when you found the sniper rifle. Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun for me. Um, before we wrap up today, I wanted to ask, is there anyone you'd like to shout out or anything you'd like to promote? Um, yeah, I certainly would like to uh, promote where I work. Um, World Remit, we're based in the UK. We're like a, uh, a money transfer provider, but we've got a great analytics team and we're like, the team is growing. It's still growing, still looking for people. So if anyone is in the UK looking to do a bit more, join a great team of analytics, then... We'll be, we'll be there. We'll be happy to uh, happy to hear from you. Also, of course, and obviously, shout out to the community. Like, I cannot tell you how much, like, through my time, like, I've really appreciated all the different people in terms of just, just everything people do, you know, from, like, just making, like, visualizations day in, day out, uh, making great, like, blog posts and content for us all to, like, just learn from. Um, and also just, just those people that just, like, maybe you don't have enough time but you just come in just sort of support everybody sort of day to day you know and just check in with people and just say oh this looks great you know those people like really appreciate them 
Uh, also, just want to just big thanks to you, Zach, uh, for letting me come on. Hey, man, look, my pleasure. You're giving me content. I'm you're <laughs> doing me the favor here. I'm not helping you out. So I really appreciate you coming on, Will. Yeah, yeah. Well, anytime, anytime, Zach. And, you know, who, who knows in the future, if you're over here, I'm over there. Let's grab a beer sometime. It'd be great. Sounds good. And let's talk again soon. All right. Take care, Zach.